Thank you for coming today. Welcome to the AGO's Art Rental and Sales Gallery and our Saturday Art Speak series. I'm Jennifer Bogle, coordinator of the gallery. And today I'm in conversation with the five photographers that comprise the DK Photo Group, a Toronto-based photographers collective. For Scotiabank's Contact Photography Festival, we are presenting this extremely well-received exhibition, A World Abandoned. The images taken during the filming of the television series for Bravo's Photo Explorers provide a haunting look at forgotten industrial megastructures, castles, institutions, and churches, to name a few. To begin, let me to introduce each of the DK Photo Group. To my right, we have Russell Brewer. Completing his master's in social work at the University of Toronto, Russell continued on to complete a second master's in arts specializing in visual sociology, cultural studies, and social theory. He is currently working on his doctorate in philosophy and sociology, focusing on cultural studies and qualitative research. He is previous to this, previous to his extensive career in postgraduate studies, Russell attended the School of Architecture at U of T, where he was trained in traditional photographic and darkroom techniques. Russell's passion for the arts led him to become a docent at the Art Gallery of Ontario, and he is currently employed as executive director of the Artist Network based in the east end of the city. To Russell's left, we have Steve Jacobs. <laughs> as a kid, Steve would go to his father, go with his father to explore houses under construction after the workers had left for the day. His curiosity was piqued and it sparked a lifelong interest in not only documenting abandoned buildings frozen in time, but to find the beauty and the evidence of the human experience left behind. And then to my left, we have Sean Galbraith. Sean is a self-trained photographer and urban planner here in Toronto. With a background in urban design, he looks for the patterns, lines, and forms that give structure to urban environments with a focus on society's architectural cast-offs. Though he started in digital photography, he now exclusively photographs with medium and large format film cameras. To Sean's left, we have Matthew Merritt. Matthew is a sales director by day for a global telecommunications company. He started photography recreationally around 10 years ago and in 2008, he was awarded an Ontario Arts Council Emerging Artist Grant to photograph the Chernobyl nuclear power plant with plans to exhibit this exhibition in Contact 2011. To Matthew's left, we have Lauren Jeffrey. Lauren Jeffrey is a real estate agent selling condos and lofts, witnessing countless conversions of old factories and warehouses into living space. Prior to this, Lauren lived for many years in a small town north of Toronto, seeing many old farms left to rot, sparking his interest in the abandoned and decayed. In 2009, Lauren had the great honour of being elected to both the Ontario Society of Artists and the Society of Canadian Artists. So let's start at the beginning. Sean, could you tell us how the DK Photo Group was formed? Uh, in 2005, uh, Lauren and I, who I met online uh, through a network of explorers, we decided we wanted to put together a group of experienced photographers to shoot together on a more regular basis and put on exhibitions and, uh, and sort of try and take our photography sort of to the next level in the public. Um, I had met Russell uh, at an art exhibition and uh, it turns out Russell knew Matt for years uh, and Steve, well, I don't know, we just sort of picked him up <laughs> found him on the side of the road where the camera was close enough um, yeah and 
we came together in, a, in an abandoned steel mill south of Buffalo in uh, a blizzard in 2005 in December. Um, and we've been shooting together ever since. Excellent. Steve, how did you source the locations that were featured in the Bravo TV show Photo Explorers? Uh, we had a number of um, sources of information. Um, as Sean alluded to, there's, there's a network of explorers around the world who, uh, who do this. Uh, so we were able to contact some of them and, and uh, get advice on, um, on particular locations. Uh, and it, it was mainly a lot of time spent on, uh, on Google Maps, um, on Flickr, on various websites, trying to, trying to hunt down places, trying to find um, places that had, had an interesting history, that had a story to tell, and obviously places that, um, that were photogenic, stuff that we were interested in photographing. Uh, it was a very difficult process. Uh, we still have a list of 200. 200, yeah, places that we would still like to go to. I mean, narrowing it down was uh, was was painstaking, and in some cases, caused a few regrets. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I guess that's a long version of how we did it. It's fine. And then, so you found the places you're going to go to. From that point to actually getting inside the building, there's a great deal that has to happen in the meantime. Russell, can you touch on, once you've found out where you're going, you've taken your rental van, you've driven up there, you've stopped, you think you're close, what happens at that point? I'm still getting over the brevity of Sean's response to that question. <laughs> uh, I keep going. <laughs> but, um, hmm. each, each site is different, so, uh, my big question, and you probably saw it, me asked it several times on, in the thing was, what about security? And uh, that is something that we always have to take into account, you know, if the place is secure, if it's uh, uh, being patrolled, if there's fence, alarms, dog. fence, things like that. You know, it's always nice to know or have an idea what, uh, what you're getting into. Um, in one episode, though, in the Photo Explorers, our minds kind of got a little bit ahead of us. <laughs> and so we extrapolated all this sort of security, and it was actually to not, you know, there, there wasn't anything there, really. So it was an um, open door. It was an open and door. And no fence. And no fence, <laughs> and no alarms. And no and one no, around. And no one around. <laughs> and, you know, we, we sort of created this, this <laughs> We this had a barrier, barrier going in that uh, was not based in reality. Yeah, it was quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> well, based on the reality of exploring in mm. Canada and, and even more so in the U.S., but it certainly doesn't apply to Europe. No, as yeah. we found out. Sure. Okay. Um, but uh, in one instance, three of us were shooting in um, Pennsylvania in a power station. Uh, which was, we learned, was under the control of uh, Homeland Security. And we found ourselves kind of stranded there Playing for a little while. Playing with security. For a little while. And it was February, it wasn't pleasant, you know, it was windy and cold, and it was very clandestine. You know, all we needed is um, stuff to put on our face to make it black, and <laughs> black hats, and we were kind of you know, running around in the dark trying to get, find the hole in the fence to get out. But, uh, yeah, you, you, have these, you have these experiences. As a group, you've referred to your fence jumping activities as recreational trespassing or ethical exploration. 
And Sean, you've talked about it, there being a curiosity that overwhelms one's sense of personal well-being. Could, uh, Matthew, could you touch on some of the occasions where your adventures have put you in serious harm's way? Um, serious harm's way is, uh, as far as physically. Um, the one that comes to mind was uh, was one actually where I was by myself. And uh, this was, uh, I was in search of um, abandoned tugboats and ferries off um, Staten Island in a, in a uh, strait called the Arthur Kill, uh, where all, you know, all these old wooden boats are basically piled up. And I'd seen photographs of them, kind of pinpointed on, uh, at, at the point, at that time, I don't even think uh, Google Earth was available, so I found some satellite maps that vaguely showed where they were, and got on a bus, went out to Staten Island, and uh, thought I was in the right area, walk out in, into the, uh, to the edge of the water and sort of crossed what looked like just a, a dry bed but ended up being uh, uh, just a dried up stream uh, from the um, from the tide that had just gone out and uh, literally had sunk right down almost to my waist so now I'm by myself and uh, I've, I, I can't go back I can only go forward and I, as I try to pull my foot out you know my sandals are coming off and, and uh, I'm like in this bad position so I, I I didn't want to lose my sandal, that was my, my first goal, so I kind of used my tripod and wiggled myself out uh, for the most part and could only go forward at that point. So uh, unfortunately, forward was the wrong direction to where the boats were. <laughs> and there was like one or two of them. So, uh, And also there's guns going off in the distance because there was some sort of military firing range. <laughs> so, so it was one of those instances where, what am I doing here? Like, I'm by myself. And now I can't even get on a bus because I'm literally I'm covered in sludge and I stink. So I had to call my friend that was in Manhattan, who was about to go out to some recital and, and ask him to, to come and pick me up. And, and he came and he rescued me and brought me lunch and a blanket. And <laughs> so the adventures of photography and sometimes the, uh, the images don't, aren't worth the, uh, the risk. Sometimes they are. Yeah, sometimes they are. Mm -hmm. But it's safe to say that in the years we've been doing this, I think we've all had a number of moments where we've just had to pause and think, why, Why am I here? <laughs> what am I doing? I'm on a catwalk 200 feet in the air and there's a boiler hanging by two bolts above me about to fall. <laughs> but I absolutely need to get this shot. Or you're, you're considering uh, your decision to walk across what apparently is a spongy floor when you've fallen halfway through it and you're, you're down to about here, sort of trying to keep yourself from falling into the basement of the building. Your feet are dangling, monsters below are nipping at your heels. <laughs> but then you pull yourself out of the hole, you take a picture of the hole that you just <laughs> fell through, <laughs> and then you just keep on doing it. Yeah. <laughs> now, Lauren, I think you, uh, not on your own, but with a couple of you, had a bit of a run-in with a SWAT team. <laughs> <laughs> that, was uh, that was actually Sean and I, and, uh, and a friend of Sean's, on his very first uh, excursion into, uh, into this sort of building. And there was an old uh, reform school we were going to. Uh, and again, it was, it, was, it was probably February again. It was snowy, yeah. it was nasty. Uh, we get there. Um, I mean, it's, it's in the reform school. It's a huge high fence around it. Like a small and, jail. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but the, but the big curve. So we're, we're walking around and around this thing, trying to find a way in. Uh, we finally do. Um, at the time, your car had Florida plates on it, because Sean had recently been in Florida. So of course, when we, we eventually find a way in, and as we're as we're in there, um, unfortunately, this was one of the places where the risk was not worth it because it was 
This is really boring building. I don't think, I didn't even take a single picture. I, 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 uh, we looked around, the outside looked wonderful, the inside was boring as anything. Yeah. So we're in the basement, we were like, okay, we might as well, we've, we've come all this way, let's try and catch some shots. And we started to hear what sounded like a muffled bark. That's not good. Did you hear a dog? <laughs> so uh, we, we keep doing, and then we, you know, here's something else. Okay, something's, either somebody's here with a dog, or there's, you know, just a local dog has come into the place and we don't know if it's going to be friendly or not. So we sort of go into a closet, basically, close the door, and uh, we can hear the uh, of nails of the dog and someone walking behind it. And we're like, okay, okay, you know, they're just, they're just going for a walk. They're, they're regional police. If you can hear our voice, come out. <laughs> uh, and bark, then bark, the dog bark, goes bark, off. Bark, bark. And, uh, Scratching on the door. <laughs> the so we're like, you know, we'll, we'll come out, we'll come out, hold the dog, hold the dog. And out, and we're, I mean, we're face down on the floor, um, and uh, Sean's friend is terrified of dogs. Yeah, so he's just turtle. He's just, I mean, there he's screaming at him to, to lay, he's just, no, he's just not. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, they p pick us up, they cuff Sean, whole length, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and, <laughs> Clearly they understood yes. that I was a threat. <laughs> he's the dangerous one. <laughs> and and, and they, they haul us outside to where there's, I mean, I mean, like suburbans and cruisers everywhere. There's a SWAT team and, and a canine unit. And we're looking we're at... using that building for training that day. <laughs> I mean, that's what I said. Look, I'm like, all this for us? They're like, no, we train here. Yeah. <laughs> Admittedly. And we they, got there half an hour before they did. Admittedly, so. when we were going through the building, we saw all the shell casings on the floor. Probably should have tens of thousands of shell casings. Something else was going the on. Little, the little sign on the wall says sniper with an arrow. Yeah. You're like, yeah. okay, whatever guys are playing in here. Yeah. Anyway. Sometimes your enthusiasm gets the better yeah. of you and you ignore obvious warning signs. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, yeah. But, but then you come up with a story to tell. It was like, yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, they sent us on our way. And, Catch and uh, release. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so getting there is obviously a challenge sometimes, but um, I imagine once you get inside and you really get into some amazing places, it must be another worldly experience. And I think, Steve, you had mentioned that there, you've been, actually have entered into an old medical or psychiatric hospital that no one else had been into since it had been abandoned. As far as we know, yeah. Uh, yeah um, Matt and, I and myself, um, decided to, uh, to take on what had been one of the largest challenges in Ontario, um, at least at, at the time. Uh, a little medical exam building, uh, part of a, uh, well, a psychiatric hospital. I believe the building was built in 1883, uh, very old, very stately building. Um, anyways, we, uh, we headed out there. I think we left at three in the morning, arrived at five, something like that, the plan being to get in before dawn and get out as quickly as possible. Um, we, we, we found our entry, we dropped into the basement, uh, turned on our lights, and I think we were in the, the denture lab? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so surrounding us are teeth and, and <laughs> casts of people's mouths and partial dentures. And it was just, and of course, this is in the basement of a building that was built in 1883. There are cobwebs everywhere. It's this old, imposing stone structure. Well, we've been boarded up since the 70s. That, yeah. yeah, 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 since it closed. Um, and it was just, it, it was very surreal to suddenly go from outside to in this, what seemed like a perfect horror movie uh, <laughs> scene. Um, Wait, and it was also a very foggy morning. 
Uh, it's on the grounds of an active psychiatric hospital. It's in the parking lot. Um, so there's security yeah. on site. Yeah. You have to get past yeah. the fence. Security offices next door. Yeah. 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 And our, the, 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 the tricky part was our entry was a very noisy entry. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, how do we do this without anyone hearing us? As we were <laughs> figuring that out, a, uh, there's a railroad tracks nearby and a train starts passing by. There's your cover. And there's our cover and we just go and get in and, uh, and, and get out. But it was certainly a very surreal experience. First off, knowing that, as far as we know, we're the first people there uh, in, 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 so, in such a great time. Um, but uh, going through this building and seeing things like the operating room and the recovery rooms and, and uh, um, the autoclave, the, the sink that had the handles that had little stirrups so you could turn it off with your arm yeah, after yeah. you've washed up. And a sterilizing machine as well. The, as the, yeah. The big yeah. old barrel. Yeah. Uh, very surreal. Um, more so than any other place. In part because of the setting and um, the charge. Yeah. I think we were home by 10 a.m. and sleeping for the rest of the day. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And some of the, you know, on, on the topic of what you've, the interesting things that you have come across. I know there's a number of them, but maybe starting with the abandoned prison that you entered. Lauren, you want to Which be one? there? Well, you found some old criminal records. Oh, oh, that's uh, cult. Um, Steve know knows that, that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, a building almost of the same age, actually older than the hospital, built in 1860s, um, just outside of New York, uh, and built. Well, imagine the Don Jail, but larger. That's that, that same style. As we're going through there, um, we're going cell to cell, and all the uh, the art, the prisoner art, is still there. They've drawn, they have calendars on the wall. They've they've crossed off. They've drawn portraits of, I guess, I assume their family. Uh, that was certainly an interesting find. Added a very uh, personal level uh, to this building, where you know people are supposed to be stripped of of, of their identities. Um, and then we found boxes, maybe 30, 40, 50 boxes of records, criminal records, uh, complete with photographs. Some of them date, uh, they, many of them dated back to the 20s and 30s. Um, listed the, uh, the prisoner's entire record, had a photograph, had his fingerprints. Um, and what was quite interesting is that a number of them had been signed by J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> and it wasn't a stamp, it was his actual signature. Um, and as far as I can tell, these, these boxes are still sitting there. Um, it's amazing some of the things that you see. You think that medical records and, and uh, criminal records, prison files and that, you'd think that would be secret, but... Um, well, on, on our, on, on, during the filming of the show, yeah. uh, we went to the Chateau Bézesson, which was uh, an old chateau outside Paris that was used as a tuberculosis sanatorium for decades. And when we were there, I mean, there were literally, I mean, tens of thousands of records. Uh, I mean, records, I mean, so, I mean, they were using washrooms to store them. There were rooms in the basement where we almost had to duck uh, the ceiling to climb <laughs> over these piles of records. Uh, X-rays, medical histories, daily temperature charts. Uh, I mean, everything, I mean, all just left, all just left there. Yeah. It's one of the most remarkable things about doing this, finding these things and reading about these people. Um, I, I picked up and I, I still have uh, this set of records and x-rays um, and it's of someone's 20-year recovery from tuberculosis. Um, I mounted the x-rays uh, 
this brings up a whole other ethical debate. <laughs> but I, I, I mounted the x-rays uh, uh, at my place, um, and it shows his progression. He gets worse and worse and worse, and then he gets better. Um, and it's, it's remarkable reading. I don't know much French, but reading through his records, um, and it, the daily progress, or weekly, or however they recorded it, and then seeing right at the end, the few French words that I recognized were released and recovered. And uh, it's just it's just a remarkable story, and adds, uh, as as I said, it adds a very personal, um, uh, a very personal history to a place, a very personal connection with history. Or even uh, the the steel mill where we all first met. I mean, one of the most fascinating uh, things there was was uh, the, the welfare building. The welfare building, yeah. which basically the change rooms, mm -hmm. and it uh, it looked like basically people had left work on Friday and just never come back. I mean, there was, there was their, their own little sections. I mean, there was deodorant, there was a comb, a razor, uh, you know, articles clothing. of clothing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, just the stuff that they used every day. And it was just left. left there like they were coming back the next day. And they didn't. And not your typical locker room either. These lockers yeah. didn't have lockers. They had baskets that they hoist up to the ceiling and then padlock. So you've got these floating baskets all over the building. <laughs> Which was very horror movie. <laughs> or when we were in the coal mine in Belgium, yeah. um, the uh, we found two punch cards still left in the punch card holder. It's like, where are those guys? Are they still down there? <laughs> Did they not hear the bell? They punched out. Did they get paid for that shift? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> what about you, Russell? Are there some things that stick out in your mind? Some of the best shots, or some of the things left behind? Objects you've come across that struck you? The objects, uh, there's so many, you know. Yeah, we, I mean, yeah. we, we were shooting in a, a school in Detroit. <laughs> and, and talk about just closing the door and leaving, it was like that. You know, it was, what, six floors of, of high school. And the, the science labs, the, the art rooms, everything, Millions all the equipment was there. Huge. The only thing that was stripped bare was the ROTC, which is in the U.S. the military cadets. cadets. Yeah. So everything was out of there, but the rest of the school was and left the, behind. And and they built a brand new school right next to it. Yeah. So it was like they closed one and just reopened it next door. The only thing they took with them were the students, pretty much. I don't everything know. I think there might have been a body or two yeah, downstairs. There might have been. But it's it's Detroit. Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was quite eerie because you know it, it, it's as if you're walking through something that has been completely deserted, like people have just been plucked out of the from the face of the earth. It's yeah. Very much life after it, people. Yeah, and then you have a place like this, which is devoid barracks. of, which is an old uh, military barracks, which is devoid of any artifacts because it's been abandoned for so long. But on the walls, yeah. you have uh, paintings of um, kind of the soldier's life from World six o'clock, you know, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Like it's like a clock right around the room, but they've drawn this in a, in a you know, the time period that they uh, that they're there at. And that was closed when. Well, the, 40s? the, the, paint, the paintings were from World, World War One. Yeah, the paintings were from World War One. It was just fascinating to see those, though. Yeah. Well, maybe before we start our Q&A, we could go around and each of you could tell us about the favorite, one of your favorite images that you've, that you've captured over the years. 
Start with you, Lauren? Sure. Uh, I mean, my recent favorite actually is probably the one right here, the, which is an old coal mine uh, in, in Belgium, um, which is also the same building here. Elsewhere. And elsewhere in here. But it, it was, uh, part of it was, 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 it was again one of those what am I doing moments where Steve and I, there's two towers, the, the old 1860 tower and then a newer uh, concrete structure. And we climbed it to, which again, you know, halfway up, we kind of looked at each other and said, why are we doing this? Yeah, it, was uh, it was a bad idea. Bad idea. All open and the I mean, the, stair, I mean the, stairwell, the stairs are on the, out, I mean, on the edge of the building and there's, there's nothing there. I mean, you're just standing on this rusted out stairway. And, but getting up to the top, because the, the built, I mean, you can see here, the, like, it's all built up. I mean, the town sort of comes up a bit and then... The, the base of the coal mine, I mean, below that there's probably six or seven stories, to, and then this tower is on top. So, I mean, the view from there is fantastic, uh, but then to turn and, and get a good view of, of, of the main building from up there, I mean, the, and then to get the shot on, it's just the, the, get the, the process of getting up there and getting it, and then what came out the afterwards was, was quite pleasing to me. So. Matthew? Um, my most recent trip was uh, not with this group, but uh, to uh, Chernobyl. <laughs> what? And uh, yeah, some, some, sometimes I venture without you guys. <laughs> um, my grandmother money wouldn't have spread that far. <laughs> um, so we went to uh, Prepyat, which is the nearby town, so two kilometers away from, from the actual reactor itself, um, which is where we spent most of our time because we wanted to look for artifacts and see what was left there. Uh, and these places were, you know, heavily ransacked since the uh, Soviet era. But uh, in the uh, high school, um, in one of the hallways was uh, um, youth gas masks that had been strewn out all over the place. And that was a real kind of, uh, I, I think, a big symbol of, of the Soviet times that they were in when, when that was a, an active school. And uh, a reminder of how close they were to this disaster that, uh, that, that certainly... Uh, you know, um, wipe that entire city out. So, uh, so I've, I've got a, a, a sort of large, wide image of probably about 20 or 30 gas masks all, all, all strewn about, which I, I think is uh, an important image. Sean? Good question. Um, so many photos. <laughs> so many photos. <laughs> um, the recent one that I like. Um, we talked briefly about uh, an exploration to it, a, a large abandoned power station in Philadelphia a couple years ago, um, where we ran into the Department of Homeland Security and thankfully avoided them when they almost caught us twice trying to get out. Uh, and we had to wait four hours until the sun went down before it was dark enough and we could try again. Um, that was fun. Uh, but that's, that power station is probably the most spectacular building I've ever been in. It's built in 1924, uh, sort of neoclassical power station that had at the time the largest generators in the world, uh, four large Westinghouse uh, uh, coal-fired generators. Uh, and the ceiling is this beautiful, massive dome, uh, you know, like a train station almost, supported by uh, ironwork uh, uh, grid, uh, and arches, not unlike the, you're standing underneath the Eiffel Tower, uh, and then uh, supporting a concrete rebar roof that is collapsing in spots, and you know, there's a, 
a car-sized chunk of concrete being held on by one piece of rebar that was banging in the wind, and you're sort of walking underneath it, hoping that doesn't the next fall. gust of wind doesn't snap the rebar and it, you're done. Uh, but the, the scale of the place is, is massive, um, and the uniqueness of the setting um, is just, uh, uh, it's just fantastic. Uh, and so the shot that one of my favorites and is available through the Art Gallery of Ontario Rental and Sales <laughs> Gallery uh, is, uh, is an overview shot of uh, the vastness of, uh, of this space. Steve? Thank you. I'm, I'm still trying to decide. Um, certainly shots from this power plant, but from a different part of the power plant uh, in behind the generator hall. Um, the magnificent generator hall is a much more utilitarian um, portion of the plant where all the uh, the coal was ground up and where the boilers were and that. Um, one of my favorite shots from there is is fairly simple. Um, it's it's a shot of conduits and riveted pipes uh, uh, on the wall. Um, everything in the back had been whitewashed, and over the years, as uh, uh, over the years, rust has has, has peeked through the paint. Um, so it, um, it's a strange spectrum from uh, from white to uh, rust red with a few purples thrown in somehow, and it just one of the things that appeals to me is the complexity of industrial design. Um, I mean, anyone can look at a, a building and recognize its style and 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 uh, immediately know why they like that and, and appreciate the work that went into it. Um, but when you think of how how something as complex as a power plant has to be built, and you think about the people who have to figure out, you know, at which point a pipe has to be bent so that it will fit into a conduit and and be able to uh, be able to serve its purpose, I think this picture illustrates it perfectly. It has this um, array of conduits with one giant riveted pipe, and I don't think I'm doing a terribly good job describing it. Um, I, I wish you were serious. So That's half our shot, so Steve. I could, so, I, so I could just show it to you. Um, so we take the pictures to describe it. Yeah. Hmm. SteveJacobs.ca. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, I'm going to go on. Which we, he will eventually update. Shots. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. Someday. Russell. I'm glad I'm going last, but I still don't have an answer for you. Uh, there's, uh, there are so many favorites. Uh, I think uh, one of it would probably be the one behind me right here. Uh, I like color, so um, this has it, and uh, shape and form. And it sounds pretty cliche, actually. <laughs> uh, but you know, That's it's. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I. It, it, this shot for me also has. A social component to it. It speaks to the the life of uh, the military at that time, and uh, I guess I'm taking or importing into the shot my memory of experiencing the place as well, and what I saw in it. So that I guess that's why. Uh, I mean, I have shots of uh, in, taken in high schools and churches, and that are are relevant to me as well. So. There, there are several. They change almost daily, yeah. you know. Well, that's, that's it for my questions, and I'd be 
I'm happy to turn it over to the crowd now. Is there anybody that has any questions they would like to ask based on anything that these, the DK Photo Group has experienced? Yes, please. Well, what's your challenge with lighting? Do you shoot all natural light or do you take lighting in with you? It's very difficult to take lighting in when you don't have a plug to plug it into. Yeah. Or you're, or Harsh you're climbing, yeah. or you're climbing yeah. barbed wire fence, or you're yeah. running from yeah. security. Or <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I mean, don't mean to. I mean, some places do have electricity. Sure. Electricity. Very rare. And it freaks us out yeah. because you know, <laughs> you're wondering why is there a light on here? You know, um, we, we all shoot just natural light, what we find, and that does provide uh, provide challenges. Um, if you're in a building that has a lot of windows and uh, it's a really bright sunny day, you're, you're in a really high contrast situation and your shadows are either going to be completely dark or your highlights are going to be completely blown out. Um, a best day to photograph for myself is a day like today where it's completely flat light. Um, but, you know, we get what we get. Um, but in, sorry Sean, yeah. but in situations like if you look at that or any place where you see windows, you'll probably see that our windows are generally blown out because to capture what's inside, you have to have a long enough exposure. You know? Sacrifice the detail yeah. of that side. So, you know, it's really a new, not unusual, but difficult lighting situations because inside is so dark as well. A lot of people ask us, I mean, is that what it looked like? I mean, it's, I mean, Asking us, I guess, if we, if we've, if we've, I mean, what kind of post-processing we've done or whatnot. But I mean, it, it's a funny question because, yes, that is what it looked like, but it's not really what we saw necessarily when we were there because, I mean, your eye doesn't have a 30-second exposure, so I mean, everything pretty much is darker than than what you see just because of the. I mean, that's just the way our eyes work. Um, but I mean, the, the images are all true to what what we saw and what was there. In many cases, way one of the things that I certainly enjoy about this is, um, you know, going into a place with very little light, uh, St. Kirby, uh, mm -hmm. for example, um, mm -hmm. maybe very little light outside, setting up a shot, framing it just by shining my flashlight on the area that I want to shoot, um, setting up a 30, 40, one minute exposure, whatever it may be, and and just seeing what comes out in the end. And it's almost never, it's almost never exactly what we see. Um, often cases, you know, we may be shooting into a dark room, a long exposure will bring out, uh, will result in an image with incredibly warm tones. Um, it's, uh, it, it's great to see the end result. It, it's a good surprise. Detroit. 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 Yeah. <laughs> when, when you specialize in abandoned buildings, Detroit is Disneyland. Uh, it's, it's, it's somewhat, you know, Insulting to say that, but it's the unfortunate reality that that's the case. There's no other city in the world that I'm aware of, short of Dresden after the fire bombings of 1940s and World War II, that is that has that much to offer a group of photographers like like us. Except for appropriate, uh, except yeah. for yeah, <laughs> yeah, that you can that you can easily wander around and without having to worry about radiation dosage. Um, <laughs> Detroit is, is the best. But I mean, it's certainly not the only one. Buffalo has got a, a, a large number of abandonments. Any old Rust Belt city, um, Cleveland, Gary, Indiana, um, Youngstown, Ohio, um, any city that used to be a major 
manufacturing, especially heavy manufacturing, steel industry, auto industry, those were usually giant single industry towns and those industries no longer exist in the form that they used to when they built up to the size. So you have a city like Detroit that's lost half its population in the last 30 years and that's a lot of structures and services and institutions that have no population to serve uh, and no building that has or, or no users for a building and so they're simply left abandoned. Um, and it's everything. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's blocks of resident, uh, residential areas where there's two houses on a block. The rest one of them is burned out. Yeah, and the rest of this field, it's grassland. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have, they have an urban prairie. Uh, it's a park, yeah. the Brushland Park, which is an old, uh, and the few remaining houses are beautiful, but it's, it's just it's just field, it's grass. There's nothing there anymore. I mean, there's, what, 17 some odd skyscrapers downtown abandoned. Mm -hmm. There's 40 story buildings with trees growing on the roof. Uh, it's, it looks like something out of a movie. I mean, it's, yeah. it's un, it, it, you can't, I mean, until you see it. I mean, the first time or one time I've been, I mean, it was just like, you just, you're in shock. Uh, and it's and it's bizarrely localized. I mean, when we, when we drove out to uh, an old theater, which was near Gross Point, and you're driving down this major, like, six-lane road, and on one side is giant mansions with Humvees in front, and on the other side is, is burned-out houses and, and empty lots. Mm -hmm. and, and they're across the street from each other. It's it's just surreal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Detroit has the is the home of the largest abandoned space in North America and probably the world. And it's the old Packard Automotive yeah. plant, which hasn't uh, been in operation since 1958, but the building still is still there. Three and a half million square feet. Yeah, of just abandoned space. Mm -hmm. About a mile long, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's what, four or five stories high? Yeah. About that. And, but it's, it's there. It's there. And it's a, it's a slice of history as well, North American history. Not to sound like we're ragging on Detroit. I mean, certainly. We rag on many cities. It's certainly, <laughs> certainly it's, it's a great place for, for, for abandonments, but it, it's probably one of, it's my favorite city because, um, well, certainly the abandonments. And it's just it's a it's a great city to visit if you can get past the, the fear of Detroit. Just 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 to come to its defense a bit, it usually gets knocked. I love it. But even even in a city like Toronto that has a strong economy and a strong importantly strong real estate economy, um, we still have lots of abandoned buildings around, um, from an abandoned power station um, yeah. to hotels to uh, some churches to uh, abandoned schools and houses, um, a couple of abandoned factories I can think of. I mean, every city has its architectural cast-offs um, and changes of industry that lead to obsolescence. It's, no city is static and when it becomes static, it dies and Toronto is, you know, Toronto's not immune from that. Um, no, but we tend to, I mean, in Toronto we tend to knock down yeah. Those that are used, or we reuse them fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really not a lot of of old, decrepit structures. I mean, the land value in Toronto is worth too much to leave yeah. them sitting around. Uh, in Detroit, the land value is worth nothing, so it sits around. Yeah, but again, those um, the the reason why the grain silos are still there is in part because they're heritage structures, and there's value in preserving them. 
and in part because they're so damn difficult to knock down because they were meant to be explosion proof. Um, so until you know, until there's an overwhelming need um, to take the land that they're sitting on that overwhelms the the heritage value of, of keeping them, or the cost of, or the and the cost of demolishing them, those buildings will stay. Uh, and I particularly like Toronto's harbor front that has the two bookends of the old industry. Um, I think it would be a real shame and a real loss to the cultural value of the city if those two silos were further destroyed. Anyone else have? In some cases, yes. I think that's that's actually how I started. Um, I have no formal background in, in art or photography. I'm, I'm entirely, entirely self-taught. You're an archaeologist. I am an archaeologist. Um, uh, I'm sorry, what did I say? Did I say <laughs> photography? Did yes. I say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I have no formal training in photography or art. Um, but for me, it started uh, just as curiosity. And I, uh, I just picked up a point and shoot to record the places that I've been to. Um, so, so yes, that, that's how it started with me. And, and I'd say to an extent for all of us, yeah, I, I, I think a little bit is uh, uh, documentation. Um, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say for all of us. I mean, I go in I really any of us other than you. I, 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 would, I, I approach an abandoned building uh, from an artistic pr perspective and consider it, this is my artistic challenge for the day and, and, and how do I create art from this that, uh, yeah, that, 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 you know, I will, uh, you know, hopefully find a successful shot that will uh, evoke some sort of emotional response from, from the viewer. I'm, I'm not personally, um, not there to document the building to, to show people afterwards. It's, it's an interesting effect though once you shoot a building and that building gets knocked down. It just, to me, it makes my images uh, a little more rare uh, because that, you know, whatever uh, was there isn't anymore. Yeah, for, for me, it's, uh, I'm a sociologist. Uh, and I've had an interest in architecture and I've had an interest in art for all my life. So. It's a wonderful bringing together of all those interests. You know, it, it, it has to have a social component to it for it to be interesting for me. Go ahead and then Maroon. Oh. That's you, you're a man, I know. That's Maroon that you're wearing. I know that obviously there's variables, but when you go into a location, how many of those wild shots do you get from a shoot? Do you get one or two or do you there's always the money shot, yeah. uh, I think, for most locations. Yeah. I mean, there's some where there's, there's nothing. It just yeah. it doesn't work. But usually there's at least that one that, I mean, that I mean, we, I mean, we all, if, if we all go together and come back and, and look, I mean, we've all got that, that one. It's but that may not be the wow shot. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, but usually there's, the, there's yeah. the money shot. You're talking about the easy shot. It's oh, yeah, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah, not always yeah. the same thing. No, you're right, yeah. you're right. But it, it's 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 rare that we that we go into a building and we don't take our cameras out because there's no photographic interest. There's almost always something of interest, except for pretty much that jail that we got chased out by the SWAT team in the K9 unit. That was just a waste of time. <laughs> um, other than to collect the story. Great story. Though. Great story. Um, but there's between the five of us, there's always something of interest, or almost always something of interest for us to photograph. Sometimes it's the same thing. Sometimes it's you know the big wide-angle shot of the giant room 
uh, and sometimes it's you know a simple photo of a, of a book on a shelf. Um, between five of us, you know, we all have different photographic interests and, and different experiences in the building, uh, and different experiences that led us to that building that influence what we want to shoot uh, once we get inside. You must amaze each other, like, wow, I didn't see that shot. Oh, all the time. Every time yeah, yeah. You, you're looking, well, man, I, mean, yeah. I wish I'd, I wish I'd yeah. taken that shot. I mean, Lauren's shots, for example, with his infrared uh, camera, they're fantastic, and it's certainly nothing that we could have seen ahead of time because we don't shoot infrared. And you can't uh, see infrared either. And you can't. Oh, I can't. <laughs> 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 really strange. Um, and, but and they're and they're they're wow shots. Uh, we, if we weren't impressing each other, we probably wouldn't be shooting each other with each other for the last five years. And I should let everybody know. I meant to at the start. As we just said, Lawrence are the ones against the freestanding unit here. Behind us are Matthew Merritt's works here, with the one exception of Sean's here. The works behind resin are Russell's. And then the works on the gray wall and the works to the right when you first enter the space are Sean's. And then Steve Jacobs are just around the corner across from the, uh, the title feature wall beside the Inuit case of sculpture. It's a modified digital camera. Uh, I, I bought a new body and was, couldn't, I debated selling my old one really wasn't worth anything, so I had it converted to shoot infrared. So it, uh, it's a, there's inside a digital camera, most digital cameras, there's a filter that blocks infrared light and allows visible light. You swap that for a different filter that blocks visible light and allows infrared light. So the sensor only records in that spectrum. LifePixel. LifePixel.com. Yeah, a group of guys in Seattle, they're the best. So. They're not cheap, but uh, they're the best. So. And with, with most digital cameras, you can you know simply buy a, an infrared filter yeah. and screw it on the front of your lens. The downside to that is you're taking exposures that are a minute plus in length. Yes, with the conversion of the camera that Lauren did, you can take normal shutter speed photos, and yeah. you don't have blurry trees yeah. from the wind. I mean, these are, these are all you know, thousands of a second because it's it's, they're, yeah. they're, it's bright daylight. Yeah. So. Problem is, you're also limited to when you can shoot. You can't shoot in the winter; there's no leaves. Yeah. And you really need the foliage to get the full effect. Does anyone else have any more questions? Yes. Uh, go ahead. Did you uh, actually try to go in the front door, or do you just not try to do that? It's rare. It's rare that we'll ask permission. It's as they say, it's easier to ask forgiveness than. Permission yes. and and for a lot of these buildings, there's simply no one to ask. You know, they were seized by the city for tax, you know, for taxes, and there there's no way in hell the city's going to let you in because of the legal liability. But, but so, a place like Chernobyl, though, you it's it's oh yeah. uh, permission only basically, yeah. and it's uh, there's you know basically you 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 pay money for a tour, you give all your passport information, and you have a uh, someone from the ministry and a guide with you for that entire mm -hmm. trip. So and. That's just more for the experience of uh, and the privilege of, of seeing those buildings than uh, and otherwise. And there's you know uh, armed security everywhere. So <laughs> the the rare times that that um, that I've asked permission to get into a place, um, it's been you know very very rare that it's been granted. Um, I've shot the old Don jail with permission a couple times, and then I've also shot um, an abandoned prison at Guantanamo Bay, um, which. You really need to have permission to go there, <laughs> or otherwise it's, it's easy to it's get your in. Last trip. It's, hard, it's hard to get out. <laughs> yeah. um, they just move you next door. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that was interesting. I mean, 
there are some opportunities to get permission, but because of legal liability, you know, uh, it's it's exceedingly rare that it would be granted if you can even find the person to ask. But but uh, but also, I mean, it's not that every one of these excursions broke the law. Um, I mean, there's I mean a number of them. Well, sure, <laughs> a high percentage, let's say. Yeah, but but I mean, say here here in in Ontario, or I don't know if it's Ontario or Canada specific, but I mean, it's only trespassing if you're told it is. So if there's a sign that says no entry and you cross that, you are trespassing. If, if you are told by an authorized agent of the owner to leave and you don't, it's trespassing. Um, like the instance with the reform school, um, we went through a hole in the fence that was already there. We went through an unlocked door. There was not a sign in the building that said no entry, no trespassing, or anything like that. And that we were very rigorously threatened with trespassing, breaking in, or all sorts of charges. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's nothing they can charge because we hadn't broken a law. We actually had not done anything illegal because we went. We did not make a hole. We did not make an entrance. There were no signs telling us we could not do it. Uh, even, even uh, the, if you, I'm sure you've all heard in the news recently, these guys were caught going down the sewer. There's no sign on that manhole cover. It says no entry. And they were not charged with trespassing. They were not. They were charged with mischief. So tech, tech, yeah, that's been dropped now. Oh yeah. So there, I mean, no charge. There, I mean, the cops were mad because a big deal was made of it, and they had to make a bigger deal of it. But it's not necessarily always something that's, I mean, you shouldn't do it, but it doesn't mean that it's that It's certainly that a victimless it's crime, yeah. unless you're the victim. Now, <laughs> now here, here is an instance of where permission is asked for. Sean and I, uh, as part of the DK Photo Group, are part of another group that uh, is shooting um, building stories, uh, which was just recently shown at the Gladstone. Uh, which are all City of Toronto owned for the most part, uh, heritage buildings. Most of them are closed down. Uh, we are partnered up with Heritage Toronto and Heritage Toronto uh, asks for permission for us to the building owners and because they're um, credible, um, we, we get access to all, all of the uh, City of Toronto buildings that we needed to. Nice. And uh, legally. Part of the thing that we do is we research what are the trespassing laws in the place that we're going to and how can we split those legal hairs if needed. Scotland has no trespassing laws, for instance. Yeah, Scotland's great. Yeah. The right to wander. Yes. <laughs> That's what it's called. That's great. On the back, I think we had another question there. Well, we often revisit sites. Yeah. I mean, um, it's an internal debate. How often do we yeah. want to go back to a site? Because we, we come back and we see the shots and we think of other ways to, to reconfigure the shot or to, oh, I should have done this or whatever. Mm -hmm. and sometimes you, you just want to go back to it. You know, the, the Homeland Security place, it was the oh. second time we, we went. Uh, and, uh, you know, it would be nice to get back there. Not sure we're going back there, but, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Detroit, we go back to a lot of the, the places all the time. And in part, it's, it's, you know, you go back a different day, you have different lighting, <clears throat> you, you see things you didn't see the first time, as Russell was saying, you want to shoot things slightly differently. Um, it, it could be in a different state of decay, you know, parts of it could have fallen down since the last time you were there. Uh, to some extent, places that we revisit haven't changed that much uh, since the last time we were there, simply because it's only been maybe, what, a year? sometimes less than that since we were last there and there's not a lot of change. But it is interesting, you know, to revisit a site like the first place we went to as a group 
um, the steel mill in, in south of Buffalo, when we first went there in 2005, it was still almost entirely intact. And if we go back there now, two thirds of it have been demolished. Um, it would be a very different place to visit um, uh, now. And even Kurt, uh, we went to a church in, in Detroit in January, uh, and it was in rough shape, but it, and then we went about six months, or I went about six months later, and you could see the deterioration. Yeah. Uh, so you, you can capture it at different times. And it's interesting seeing the progression of a building from you know, recently abandoned or recently opened to uh, sitting open for some time, exposed to the elements, and people come in and steal the copper and, and basically loot the building. And then in, in the case of this church, it's now being, uh, it's now being restored. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. yeah. Um, and so you can see it change in the opposite direction. Yeah. It'd be great to see what the finished product mm -hmm. uh, It's essentially... Like the tuberculosis patient. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. I mean, it's essentially the, you know, the life cycle of an inanimate object. You know, it's simply because people stop interacting with the space. Nature does, doesn't get that memo. It keeps interacting. The water gets in and that rips a part of building from the inside. And the scrappers come in and, um, you know, essentially nature yeah, it takes, sounds like an oxymoron, but it really, it, it does yeah. have a life to it, mm -hmm. you know, and it's uh, a richness of that life uh, through the process. Or even different seasons. I mean, going in the winter and going in the summer are very, very different uh, from snow just blowing in windows and whatnot to coming back and seeing, you know, trees leaves growing. and trees in, you know, in, in rooms or on roofs. So. Mm -hmm. Any further questions? Please. What's next? <laughs> What's and next? How do we agitate to get more of you on TV? <laughs> call Bravo. Call Bravo. <laughs> call them. Yeah. Call History more. Channel. Say, hey, there's this great show. History Channel has bigger budgets. budgets. Call them. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Discovery has an even yeah. bigger budget. So yeah. So any any channel that you think would be a great fit for Photo Explorers, feel free to let them know that you want to see it on there. Um, right now, we it's just the six episodes that we made. Um, we, it hasn't been picked up for more episodes at this point. It would be wonderful. We have a list of over 200 locations on every continent on the, on the planet of potential sites that we've pre-researched just in case. So you're ready to go? We're ready to go. We're ready. Yeah. From, yeah. from Antarctica to Thailand. Yeah. It's, yeah. To the, <laughs> an abandoned town in the middle of the, of the Amazon jungle. Yes. To Portlandia. Um, abandoned hospitals in South Africa. To you know, whaling stations, whaling stations right right with the whaling ships grounded right yeah. in front of the buildings. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the original working title of the show and the title of this exhibition is called "A World Abandoned," and that's really that's really what we wanted to, the show to be. You know, essentially, you know, us being paid to travel around the world to take pictures. <laughs> All right. Well. I'd like to thank each and every one of you. Thanks thank for you. coming. I thank think, you. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. And if you have any further questions, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.